0: Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. This is Reasons to be Cheerful with Ed Miliband and Jeff Lloyd.
1: Hello. Hello. Happy spooky Halloween week. Yes. <laughs> I think Are you going to go dressed up trick-or-treating? I don't know if I've ever dressed up for Halloween. My, my wife is mad on it because she's American. And I, like a lot of people will get angry if you talk about Halloween. They say, it's an Americanism invading our culture. But I just think it's just another thing, isn't it, to give the year a bit of shape.
2: I first did it when I was seven. I think it's the only time I really remember when I was living in America. And it was obviously a massive thing in America then. And it was not a thing at all, I don't think, in Britain. So what did you... What was did it you, a thing when you were growing up? Like I know the, you grew up a long time after me. But.
1: <laughs> I think there was like a little stuff. like Bobbing for apples seems to be a right. thing and a bit of ghouls and ghosts. Penny for the guy. It was, it was, it was all I know the same guy kind Fords, of time, but, wasn't it? So yeah. when you were seven, what did you go
2: as then? I think I had a sort of skeleton, one of those skeleton costumes. Yeah, but I remember I went to one house... And they, I know it's going to sound really peculiar, but it's what I have like etched in my mind. I think they were not, they didn't really like kids going to Halloween. So they like gave you some like horrible goulash or something, (laughs) (laughs) which then sort of, you know, in your bag, that, that'll sort of, teach you to not come back. Exactly, next year. Yeah. And you're sort of slightly. I've got a sort of
1: memory of this. <laughs> yeah, <just> goulash, goulash, <laughs> goulash. That's what they were getting at. <laughs> Maybe I've <I'm> now discovered it <laughs> forty years later. The other thing is, this week is its budget week. Yeah, talking of scary. <laughs> well, is it, I mean, that's what I was going to ask you. Is is it scary when you were in the Treasury team? Is it a week you look forward to? Or is it a week you dread? It depends what the sort of situation
2: was. I, think we, you know, Gordon Brown, you see it as a big sort of big opportunity for gordon brown to sort of shape you know government policy he used to sort of basically trample over everybody else's areas (laughs) Uh, um i have various memories of it as you can imagine um but one of my strongest memories is basically gordon used to care about the narrative of the speech and used to be not so interested in the detail i mean if it was like raising taxes for the nhs he'd be interested but in general he was like not at all interested in detail he wanted to leave the detail to everybody else yeah and he found the detail incredibly annoying and he found us it was basically me and Ebbles not being around to work on his speech. He used to type the speech in very sort of concentrated way, shall we say? And then there was a we from early on. There was a big screen in his room, so you could see what he was typing. Okay. And then he said, "Well, what do we say now?" It was an exhaustive
1: and exhausting process. You see, when you're describing this, I'm, it, it sounds to me like a scene from The West Wing. Yeah, I think we, we sort of had uh,
2: <laughs> West Wing-ish. Uh, Qualities, yeah. Yeah.
1: We could have done with Martin Sheen, yeah. So we're going to be talking about plastic this week, yes. And you've been particularly interested in this recently because you watched a documentary. I did by Liz Bonnin with Liz
2: uh on the BBC, which with my kids, and it was quite shocking. You know, you'd see sort of poor sort of seals that died from you know ingesting plastic, and it's awful, isn't it? It It's just a massive, massive problem. I think it's interesting in itself. What do we do about the problem? But it's also interesting in a wider sense because I think people do feel really mobilised, partly because of David Attenborough and Blue Planet too. And what does that tell us about how you mobilise people on environmental issues? So we're going to be talking about that.
1: And then as well as all that, our comedian this week in here to share some of his ideas is Rich Wilson. Yep. So... What's your reason to be cheerful? My reason to be cheerful, I mentioned this very briefly at the end of last week's podcast. I went to see Hamilton and it was fantastic. I loved it. And I I do think raving about it is akin to saying, hey, I heard this great new pop star you might not have heard of, her Beyonce, because it is such a phenomenon. Who who is she exactly? Yeah, yeah, well, Ed's the one person who would legitimately ask that question. But, um, I mean, I, I know it is this worldwide phenomenon, but it is, just brilliant and if i'm not like that keen on musicals i'll still like it yeah i think so yeah, yeah. i'm thinking
2: of going on christmas eve which is my birthday ah. this is showing at 2 30 my wife and i've been discussing
1: it you should you should definitely do it yeah. yeah
2: my reason to be cheerful is that we are going to be an exhibit at the british museum we are
1: yeah it's not gonna be like that german fella who preserves corpses and slices them open and uses well i hope not yeah i yeah.
2: mean when i say we're going to be an exhibit i don't Quite mean we're going to be exhibit, uh. but we got sorry to disappoint, we got a fantastic email from Robert Bracey, who's the curator responsible for South and Central Asian coins. Now you might be asking, what have we got to do with that? But this is what it says The British Museum is planning an exhibition at playing with money, which looks at how money is represented in games and toys. We're planning to include a section on games that satirize or are critical of political or economic issues. One of the games we were planning to display parts of was Class Struggle. Wow. A colleague pointed me to the Christmas episode of your podcast where you played the game, and I thought the, the use in the podcast of Mr Miliband, that's me, childhood experience, might enhance the story we're trying to tell. Definitely. So Now, there's a confession I have to make, which is that some very nice people, the Douglases, lent us Class Struggle. It's still nine, ten months later sitting... In my house, uh, because I keep meaning to return it to them. And actually, they want to auction it off at a fundraiser signed by me, a Labour Party fundraiser. But I'm rather hoping that they are going to sort of auction it off, but sort of with a delay so that it can be displayed at the British Museum. But the other thing to say is, because I've been in touch with Robert Bracey about this, if other people have got other games that they think would be good for this playing with money, particularly
1: if they're sort of mad lefty games, let us know. This is great. And and in terms of auctioning it off, surely it having been an exhibit in the British Museum only increases its value. Well, let's hope. We're yep. going to talk to the Douglases.
0: You're listening to Reasons to be Cheerful with Ed Miliband and Geoff Lloyd.
1: We're delighted to be joined now by Catherine Conway from Unpackaged. Hello. Hi. Hello. I thought maybe the first thing we should ask you is, is can you tell us what Unpackaged is and what you do?
3: So Unpackage was the first zero waste grocery and I set it up as a small shop in 2006 um, in London with the idea that people could come and bring their own containers to refill as a way of not getting new packaging. And, and what motivated you to set it up? Because as a customer, that's how I wanted to refill. So there are some shops that offer some refill products like EcoVer, so you could refill your washing up liquid bottle in some small health food shops. And I remember going to fill up my EcoVer, but then coming back with all of this packaging for dry goods and literally sitting over my bin going, this is crazy. If I can refill washing up liquid, why can't I refill everything? And then I sort of had the idea to set a shop up with no retail experience. <laughs> And how
1: did it go? Did it capture people's imagination?
3: It did. It was really hard. I started as a market stall and for a lot of the time I didn't even sell enough to cover the congestion charge to get to the market. Um, but slowly, slowly people started cottoning on. But back in those days, there was nothing about plastics, packaging in the news. There was no sort of concept of zero waste. So it was quite an uphill struggle. It was the beginning of the global financial crisis. So it was a hard time to set up a new kind of concept. But slowly, slowly we morphed from a market stall into a small shop in uh, where we had 700 products available in refills. Then we moved to a bigger store in Hackney. And now I have concessions within Planet Organic in London with the idea that to try and create a model that isn't just me in my little store, but is actually taking the concept out and putting it in supermarkets and actually trying to get it to a mainstream audience.
2: And how is that going?
3: Since Blue Planet at Christmas, off the charts. So it's been quite a long time coming. But when Blue Planet aired, all of the conversations we were trying to have with bigger businesses suddenly got accelerated. And now everyone is interested in packaging all of the time. And so they
2: want to work with you. They want to work
3: with us. So whether it's us coming in and designing sections for them, whether it's us just going in and trying to inspire their team on how they could make changes. But there's clearly a massive consumer demand for it now and retailers want to respond to it.
2: How practical is it to do it at scale in large supermarkets? And presumably if there's a will, it's possible.
3: Yeah, I think not all products are going to be able to be refilled. But just because you can't refill everything doesn't mean you shouldn't refill something. So there are some products that it's really easy to do. You know, your glass milk bottles is a really good example. So something like in London, there's been a 200 and something percent increase in demands for milk in glass bottles as a way of solving the plastic Since crisis. Since Blue Planet. Since Blue Planet. There are some products that it's very easy to do. You can do dry goods very easily. You can do, you know, like an old fashioned pick and mix, you know, that's not hard. But actually now some of the supermarkets, um, so Morrisons, Waitrose and Tesco's will all allow you to bring your own container to their deli counters so you could buy any fish meat or cheese products in your own containers.
2: I hate this, but what about people who shop on the interweb?
3: This is the real challenge so working out how to do refill and reuse in delivery is really hard but the advance of tech, in inverted commerce is what's going to help that. So there's lots and lots of interesting models which are coming up, which is about reusable packaging systems. Things are becoming a lot cheaper, like RFID tags. What's that? So threat? it's a way of tracking something. So if you look at, so I bought a John Lewis item the other day, and the packaging had an RFID tag impregnated in it because it's a way of doing stock control. So people don't go and count stock anymore in stock rooms. They so have a massive laser. This problem? Because if you could have a reusable packaging system that was trackable, then I could give you a coffee cup or I could give you a piece of packaging and it could be linked to your smartphone in some way, shape, or form, and you could be incentivized to bring that back to me as a shop, uh, or I, I could come and pick it back up again on a delivery. Uh, so there's all of this stuff. I mean, there's potentially some unintended consequences. Like, do we really want to track? thousands and millions of pieces of packaging around people's homes but i think the end game is probably not having customers self-dispensing products in stores the end game is probably more vending machines more automation
2: can i ask a a really Mm. stupid question when i get a plastic milk uh, carton and then throw it away uh, or into recycling sorry yeah
1: that isn't good
3: It's really not good. Because
1: what what happens? What happens? Because you think you're doing good by recycling something. Yeah,
3: and and they are, and it's really really, all consumers are. So only two percent of the plastic packaging that we put out into the world every year, which is seventy eight million tons of plastic packaging, only two percent is actually closed loop recycled, which means it's recycled back into something useful. Like a water bottle.
2: Even if it's put into the recycling. Even if it's
3: put into the recycling. What happens to the rest of it then? Uh, it's burnt, incinerated, landfilled, escapes into the environment. So when my <laughs>
2: wife says, as I do the recycling and I sort of feel good about it, she says, ah, oh, yeah, but I know what happens yeah, to it. Yeah,
3: exported. So there's loads She's of fraud sort of right. with the exporting. We are exporting our waste to countries that so next, can't really put I mean, I don't them. want
2: to be discouraging about you recycling, but it's kind of close to useless. Kind of, yeah. Is that true of everything, not paper and cardboard? So no, much? so
3: you've got much higher with paper, right. card. Um, it's just plastic is such a difficult material. And the problem with plastics is, is that it's so complex. So not all plastics are created equal. So you've got plastics, laminates, covers, yeah. you know, and we just have this creaking recycling system that was just never set up to deal. So th- there's been a massive rise in on-the-go eating. So if you think of all of the snack wrappers, crisp yeah. packets, Lucasade bottles, all of that. Our recycling system was never set up to deal with it. Yeah, Lucasade's the worst because they've got a wrapper around a bottle, so it's totally unrecyclable. <coughs> I was thinking it used to come in a glass bottle,
1: but it did always have a cellophane wrapper around it, and that's not good, is it? It's not.
3: They are dealing with that. I shouldn't totally pick them out because they are dealing with Cine. it. Sinner. Okay. Okay. Cine.
1: Cling film's really bad as well. We, should, yeah. we shouldn't be using cling film, right? No. And also, it turns out like we were all ingesting this plastic.
3: Yeah. I mean, it's everywhere. It's in our water, it's in the fish. But but also
2: from a... No, but it's not even like the fish eat it and then we eat the fish. It seems to be sort of from the plastic.
3: There is, I think, an incoming amount of scientific research i'm not a scientist and i'm not going to make any dodgy claims but there is incoming leave that to jeff no no but there is incoming (laughs) research that i think is going to show just how bad this plastic is for human health just in terms of eating food that has touched plastic right um and just it breaking down into microplastics
1: yikes So what else can we do then? What can we be doing as uh, consumers who are feeling terrible about this? And what should governments be doing?
3: Okay, the problem is, is at the minute, if you want to shop without plastic, it is really, really hard. So there are an amount of zero waste shops. So there's about 30 or something in the country now. So in lots of towns and villages all over the country, there are zero waste shops. So just start Googling and see what's locally. You can also just try and take your own containers into your local shop. So you could go into your local butcher, your local bakery, you create a shop shopping bag full of other bags so now everyone's used to taking a reusable shopping bag all you need is a reusable shopping bag with a load of smaller bags some tupperware a few random items in it and just take that with you and just politely ask the shopkeeper to put your product in the packaging that you've bought
2: we need an internet solution don't we
3: we do need an internet solution Um, so hopefully this is what unpackaged is going to be working on is actually trying to harness these sort of technological progresses and say actually how can we create a solution that's scalable
1: something we're trying to get going on the podcast is people will often want to feel powerful are there people that they can be writing letters to or contacting on social media what's the specific thing they should be asking and who should they be asking it of
3: I think they should well the action of taking your own containers or trying to buy your own containers buy food in your own containers in supermarkets will send a message because that will all start filtering up. Oh, God, all these people are coming in with their own containers. We better look after them. Uh, Calling things out on social media, writing to the chief executives of supermarkets. There's quite a lot of campaigns with um, kids in schools writing to their local supermarkets asking for less plastic. Um, So I think definitely that kind of consumer pressure will help because then they'll see there's a market for it. Because when I started, it was so, so niche and so small that, yes, you could see why the supermarkets would turn around and say, well, no one's interested. But since Blue Planet, everyone's interested, but there are no solutions. You know, everybody needs to play their part. So shoppers need to try their best to refill things and, you know, consumer pressure, retailers, manufacturers need to redesign supply chains to offer reusable packaging and then government needs to bring in legislation to make it more expensive to do the wrong thing
1: so, so speaking of government on this podcast we dream of a glorious utopia where i'm the benign leader uh, if if i was to appoint you um, speak for yourself environment secretary what would be the first thing you'd do on day one
3: So I was having a think about it. And what we really need, and actually, our government could do this now really easily is a standard of refill and reuse. So in the same way that we have food hygiene standards that cover all forms of restaurants and retailers, what we need is something that encourages reuse. So it says to a cafe, it's fine for people to bring their own coffee cups, you just need to follow these principles or these hygiene standards to make it safe and hygienic for them. So that's actually something that we could do tomorrow and would be really, really easy. Great, Catherine,
2: thank you so much.
3: Pleasure.
2: Listening to the end of that, I'm delighted to say we've been joined by Julian Kirby. He is I think I can only describe him as the plastics czar at Friends of the Earth. Is that fair enough? Uh, I'll go with that? Yeah. Okay. Tsar, you don't mind being called the Tsar, do you? Yeah. Tsar Julian, Julian the First. Tsar Julian the First. Of plastic. Of plastic. So just talk to us from your point of view about the scale of this problem.
4: It feels it's, pretty big. It's, yeah, it's not only really big, but I think we're getting a sense every day of the extent to which it's bigger than we thought it was. So, probably where most people start and stop when they think about plastic pollution is excess packaging, supermarkets, um, you know, throwaway single use things like coffee stirrers and so on. That's maybe a third of what we estimate is going into the sea. Probably a fifth comes from car tyres. So, when your tyre goes bald, where's that gone? That's synthetic rubber and that is classed as plastic pollution when it gets in the sea. Maybe a tenth, maybe more than that comes from clothes. So microfibers washing out of clothes. A lot is spilled by industry that they're called nurdles, that that were mermaids' tears, little bits of plastic, and maybe ten percent of what's going to sea comes from plastic before it's even ever been made into anything. And it's rubbing off of paint and it's rubbing off of, you know, all sorts right. of other things. The point is it's coming from so many more sources than many of us realize. But also there's a lot of it that's kind of like missing in the environment. So, so we can't account for all of it. And it might well be that a lot has settled to the bottom. Who knows what it's doing down there? I'm talking about the bottom of the sea, obviously. A lot of it is, is probably floating in the sea in very, very small particles, your nanoplastics or microplastics that we're not measuring, unaware of it's got into the food chain and so on. But actually an enormous amount is on land as well. 80% of sewage sludge in this country is spread on fields. And that sewage sludge, the water treatment plants, they filter as much as they can um, to obviously make sure that we're not they're not just dispersing all sorts of. Particles and pollutants out to the sea, but that sludge that's been trapped before the filters contains all those bits of plastic that have washed down the drain from our clothes, from our cosmetics, and so on.
1: This is horrendous. I didn't realise there's all this unaccounted
4: for. That's plastic. right, and and that's that's why from one week to another you get another story. And like just this week, we had the story about um, yeah, ingesting you, plastic, ingesting it. Yeah. So I mean, which was kind of obvious in a way because a study last year showed that between three and ten tons of plastic every year settles over the city of Paris. So that be coming from the from the clothes that the carpets, the tire dust over, as in across the city. So it's in the air, and it settles out, and and then so like we've got some fields dust exactly. So
2: and the, we don't really know what the implications are for human health. We know it's pretty bad for fish and so on. Well, I
4: mean that that's the thing. So that there's very little research done so far on human health, and and what's been looked at so far has been. The visible stuff or, or you know, the microplastics that that you can see in fish guts and so on. So we're like, well, you know, people are probably eating that. But the worry is the really small microplastics or the nanoplastics. So that's, you know, really, really infinitesimally What,
1: what are microbeads? Sorry, I've heard this word. Okay, so but... m-
4: microbeads
1: are um, tiny little
4: solid bits of plastic that are put, in, put into or were put into things like shampoos and cosmetics and so on. So we've got this much-vaunted microbeads ban. Uh, in this country, it's only partial. So, that only affects rinse off things like like shower gels and shampoos and so on. And it doesn't cover sun cream. So, some sun, sun pl- cream. Does, it in. I'm
2: sorry to be stupid, but what's pl- microbeads? Well, why were they
4: in the shampoo in the first place? And they were in toothpaste. So, we're brushing our children's teeth with what, plastic what, in there. The what, point what was the purpose? The point was to, to give it granularity, there are different functions, to give it granularity, to give it viscosity, to allow it to be spreadable, you know, all of those sorts of things. So, the ban in this country Shit. removes from a lot of those sources. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't affect cosmetics and so on. So it's still in your lipstick. It doesn't apply to sun creams. Now, many sun creams have got them out, but not all of them. Um, but it also uh, it covers the solid bits. And the thing about plastic uh, is that it can actually, the polymer that, it's, that it is made from, it's called plastic when it's a solid, but it can be in a waxy form, a gel form, and, and so on in in the product. And when it gets into a different environment, be that uh, in something's guts or in a cold sea, then it can turn into a, a solid as well. Right, so I the think, point is it's all yeah, over. The I think
2: place. at this point I can feel collectively our listeners hiding under the duvet it together but and sort of wanting to sort of avoid the world. But
1: there's some good news here. This is Yeah, some, so I, good let's, news is it's let's make the, the turn. It's, it's caught the public's <laughs> imagination. Yeah, so, and so, Catherine it,
2: was saying how her business has gone yeah. up massively as a result of Blue Planet. Now, the
4: good news, the good news, good news, yeah. I think, is... You know, have we ever seen such a public response to an environmental crisis? Uh, You know, I've been doing this for longer than I care to mention and and I I haven't. And we've got big things like, you know, climate change. We're like, you know, wake up. Yeah. And, and, and we are seeing progress on that. And we've seen, you know, really good developments in different parts of the world or, or so on on climate change. But the public response on, on plastic, I think eclipses, you know, and was that the, uh, the, the, it was just
2: blue planet that did
4: it. Well, it was growing and growing before yeah. Blue Planet. Now, now I think to be fair to Blue Planet and the makers of Blue Planet, that really was you know, yeah. a, a knock right up a few yeah. scales. But, but I think it first entered the public consciousness in quite a widespread way, probably in the early, early noughties when... Some Californian fishermen discovered this this mass of of plastic floating in the middle of the Pacific, oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and and then it sort of went away a bit, but it continued to grow. And various bits of the media were talking about banned plastic bags and so on. So it's growing and growing. Blue Planet, whoop, and then so, the BBC drowning in plastic. Just recently, yes, indeed, another, I was, we're talking about Liz documentary, which yeah, is very good. That's right, and
2: I recommend it to Jeff. Now, the government's made some announcements. Yeah, yeah, take us through what they've announced and sort
4: of how far it goes. Yeah. So broadly, with respect to, to plastic pollution itself, because this is an issue that cuts across, you know, waste and pollution management, you know, more generally than that, what Mr. Gove is planning. So this is the Environment Department uh, is banning plastic stem cotton buds plastic straws and plastic coffee stirrers so those are classed as needless pointless items that can be got rid of i think a lot of people would support that although it's really important that we remember that there are there are certain people that really need plastic straws so people who have disabilities can't use paper straws or steel straws and that's that's a really important consideration if we're going to ban something like plastic straws make sure that we properly think about it and what the impacts are and and accommodate people who are going to still need them Across the fence at the Treasury, you've got plans to use the tax system to minimise uh, single-use plastics. So things like disposable coffee cups, maybe, or takeaway tubs. So we're going to hear about that probably by the time you wear this, actually. But the DEFRA announcements, GOES announcements will be probably in, in a few weeks' time. Uh, and he's also looking at, getting a bit broader, the waste and recycling system. So making it easier for people to recycle and such like. Is it enough? They're good things, but it's piecemeal and it's fragmentary and it's a tiny, pardon the pun, drop in the ocean of the amount of plastic pollution you know that we're creating. I doubt it will come close to even thinking about plastic pollution from car tyres, from the clothes that we're wearing, from peeling paint, from all of those other sort of um, uses, as well as plastic stemmed lollipops you know it, it looks and feels exactly the same as a plastic stemmed cotton bud why would you not ban that
1: if you were minister of the environment in the jeffocracy this is the stuff you would be doing in addition to the government's proposals
4: uh, i think and it would be an honor um <laughs> i i think that actually the thing that I, I would look for um would be a proper application of what people call varyingly the pays principle or, or or sort of related to that producer responsibility so if you're going to market something then uh, and sell it and make money out of that. Then you have to have paid for the impact of that on the environment and on on society. And what we've got in this country is the companies that market a lot of we think is rubbish, uh, whether it goes in the recycling stream or, or or in the you know black bag bin. They pay about ten percent towards the, the clean up of that stuff. In much of Europe, they pay ninety percent. So it's the other way around. And and we really need to get to that situation in this country where if you are going to make stuff that has an impact, that has a need to clear it up or remediate it in somehow, then you need to be paying for that. And then what that does is drives those companies to to think about, well, is this gonna cost me? Maybe I won't sell it or maybe I'll, I'll design it differently. And I'm sure there are other reasons behind this, but it's probably not a coincidence that we have much more. Packaging and, and single use rubbish created in this country than than in similar economies like like Europe much much more. What are the harder things to do
1: that we we haven't yet talked about? Well,
4: we've touched on car tyres and we've touched on clothes. The problem with synthetic clothes. So most of us, you know, listening to this, you and I uh, are going to be wearing a bit of plastic on us somewhere in our in our clothes. Um, now, I'm sort of horrified to learn that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think oh, isn't that going to be a bit sweaty? Yeah. Um, but it. <laughs> It's it's such a sort of prevalent part of our clothing these days that, that, that something like two-thirds of new clothes now are, are synthetic clothes are made with, with plastics in some way. And, and you might say, well, let's just ban it. But the problem is that cotton is also... An, absolutely awful crop in terms of environmental impact and in terms of social impacts like in uzbekistan where a lot of cotton comes from basically the country is enslaved on mass and sent out to the fields to pick it you know there are awful awful environmental and social aspects to to cotton farming and even organic cotton would you know requires huge amounts of water and land and so on so would be a case of out the frying pan into the fire we just said no to synthetic clothes but there are things that individuals can do nudism and nudism of course um, yeah would work in some countries better than another. <laughs> Let's put it that way. I'll be up for that. Don't like wearing clothes much, um, but social debuts dictate that I have to. So, um, yeah, the, the the thing about um, synthetic clothes is that they shed microfibres, uh, and and those microfibres are a, a type of microplastic. And as I said earlier on, those microplastics are actually really really bad in the environment because they gather toxins and get into food chains if you wash your clothes less often if you wash them on a slower spin cycle at a lower temperature if you don't ram so much into the washing machine there are some bags that you can put synthetic clothes into guppy bag is one i think another one is called coral or something that collect the microfibers. You know those things can help to reduce, but also companies should be that are making marketing this stuff should be installing filters on on their drains to collect the microfibers there because they're mostly shed in the earlier washes but also and this is a role for government to make this happen um there should be standards and there could be standards around ensuring that clothes are only designed to the best standards so that they shed as little as possible. And if we have those minimum benchmarks now, and we can say that the best performing one now can be the minimum in five years
1: time, then that provides you know, a route towards minimal pollution. That touches actually on something bigger that uh, we wanted to ask you about, which is the the balance of this problem how much of it can be sorted by us as individuals versus how much needs to be looked at by industry versus how much needs to be looked at by governments or, or indeed sort of uh, international cooperation of, of governments? So there are things that we
4: can do as individuals, but, but what we really need to get across not just to us all as individuals, but to the companies that make and market this stuff to politicians that set the framework we all live in, is that there's only so much we can do as individuals. And actually, I think it's about time we all expressed pretty vocally that we're fed up with this mantra that it's all about individual choice and change. We've done a bit, people recycle as much as they can. And, and they they do that stuff around, you know, looking, checking the labels or, or whatever. But what you need, for, particularly for something like plastic pollution, which comes from so many different sources, and and some of them are trickier areas to look at, and you know, you and I aren't clothes designers. I guess I'm not anyway. So, you know, I, I can't dictate what happens there. That that's why you need, you know, government direction. You really do need hands on government with this to say, right, what we have to do is get to an endpoint of near zero plastic pollution, and there are things that we can do right now. We can get rid of needless and pointless plastics. But whilst doing that, we need to identify the essential ones, whether for medical use or for accessibility and disability reasons and so on. And what are the hard to replace ones that we're going to have to work over time on? And then let's get to work with working to figure out how to to get rid of those. And that requires legislation that would make not just this government, but future governments work towards that problem as well, because it will take decades. So we could get rid of the majority, probably, of plastic pollution now, or a big chunk of it, like really quickly in the next few years. And we should and we must do that because we're in a crisis here. But also be working over over time and that's that's what we have in this country pioneered globally with the climate change act and we could take a very similar approach with plastic pollution
1: and and how do you coordinate this kind of stuff internationally because i was um, looking before in, in terms of the plastics in the oceans china and indonesia and the Philippines are, are sort of the three biggest pollutants. Is there something that's equivalent to, say, the Paris Agreement that can yeah. be thrashed out of people talking about doing that kind of thing? So there are plans at UN level to create an international agreement around
4: plastic pollution. It's really important to back up a little bit and think about, right, well, if, is it really all coming from this country or that? Now, now we export huge amounts of our quotes recycling was going to China, they've now said we're not having this thanks. It needs to go elsewhere. Why are they saying we're not having it thanks thanks? Because it's really poorly sorted. It's it's highly contaminated with other waste streams. We haven't got our act together in this country to to you know make sure that the recycling collections that we do are, are properly uh, sorted so that the reprocessors who buy the stuff can turn it into new, you know, essentially it's raw materials again and turn it into new stuff. At the moment they have to pay again to get it resorted. And because they can't afford that, it gets exported elsewhere. So we're kind of literally dumping our rubbish on other countries. And that also has a huge social impact because not all of that stuff is then recycled over there. It's left in tips. It gets into the environment. So actually a lot of the pollution that's coming from countries like the Philippines and China and so on actually comes from from this country or, or Germany or European countries or the States or, or whatever – but also the companies that are, that are making and marketing a lot of this stuff, whether it's, you know, your soft drinks companies or your shampoo companies who've decided, right, here's a new, new market here that we can really, you know, we can penetrate this market and we'll, we'll figure out how to do that. We'll sell individual shampoo sachets instead of bottles. They do that. They aggressively market this stuff knowing that there is no infrastructure there to collect it and that there is no culture there to deal with this stuff. And so to say, well, it's kind of their fault they're creating the mess is, you know, that is actually quite an important nuance to to the issue there, which needs thinking about. One other question that
2: I've got goes broader than plastics. You know, we've talked both with you and Catherine about the way in which the blue planet and so on really awoke public consciousness. What lessons do you think we learn for wider environmental and climate issues from this? Apart from the fact we need David Attenborough. I mean, to be fair to David Attenborough, he's been doing, he's been talking about climate um, a lot.
4: That's a really good question, isn't it? And just my personal opinion. Uh, This isn't a frenzy opinion. My personal opinion, because, you know, everyone's speculating. I think that, where, if you, if you give people something that they can kind of relate to, then that really yeah. obviously turns yeah. something that's an abstraction into a real issue. Yeah. I worked in a, in Australia on a on a on a big campaign to stop fracking there, and and the thing that really resonated with people there was the impact on water and the industrialisation yeah. of, yeah. of the bush of, of you know country yeah. around them, and and we did. Um, Focus groups, and they were all concerned about climate change, but their responses were, you know, I really get it, but I can't really relate to it. It doesn't Mm. sort of make sense to me. Can't relate
2: to it as a problem or as a solution or both?
4: Probably both. And I think that's the thing about plastic, is that people can see it and feel it. And in a way, it's been an awakening, because quite literally, we have stepped over it as an issue for decades. It's been there on the path in front Mm. of us. I wish that wasn't there, and you you walk over it. But, But there has been that flip by attenborough and blue planet and all and, and you know others of course really getting that that energy going but but there's also always there's been this background thing that I think people have a sense i mean it's in the culture it's in is it the kinks plastic man you know the use of the word plastic has always been a little bit of an insult there's always a bit of a sense of it. it's not not a very yeah, annoying yeah. thing so um I think the lesson there if there is one um for my speculation anyway is it's just to really really go to where people are and how it makes sense to them and and showing there are solutions actually showing never know? Absol- yeah absolutely, absolutely.
1: I mean, we've got a really clear idea of the the problem, but there's there's plenty to feel optimistic about i mean I, I feel optimistic about in a way that with something like just the the plastic drinking straws, fairly much nobody was talking about that a couple of years ago, and now, if I go out to a pizza place they, they don't give you straws anymore in in some of the chains, so there's cause for optimism there, right. I think there's so much cause for optimism. What's the, the cliche about the,
4: the Chinese expression in a crisis is an opportunity or something? Or are they, it's the same word written different ways or something? Right. I don't know. I don't read Chinese either. <laughs> um, but it, it it really does feel that way because we have just an unprecedented level of public concern and energy and, and desire to do something about this and, and to do something serious about this. No more fiddling on the margins and, and, and blaming it on you know individual choice and so on. Uh, And and that level of of energy is driving corporate culture as well as political culture. And there's a reason that, that, you know, the politicians are saying, all right, we're going to ban this and we're going to do that. Now, they're insufficient, but it's an open door that we can and should kick at.
2: Tsar Julian I of plastics. thank you very much for joining us. It's a great honour. Thank you. So what do you think?
1: Well, I mean, firstly, I feel awful about thinking that just by washing out my plastic milk cartons and putting them in the recycling, that I'm And also I'm that daily Lucas bottle. I think you're confusing me with Daily Thompson. I don't even drink that much Lucozade. No. Only when I'm poorly. Your secret has been revealed. <laughs> Which you who brought up Lucas Wrongly accused yeah. on Lucas Aid, yeah. But sort of the, the scale of the problem and how little the, the difference, the things that you think you've been doing up until this point and up until this became a big part of the conversation. You know, sort of realising yeah. how little we've been doing up up until now really
2: I mean it's obviously not simple government could obviously be going faster I I suppose the two things I take out of it are one the consumer pressure point that Catherine is and Julian made which is you know consumers I, I don't think you can solve it on your own as a consumer but consumers signaling that they care a lot about this will Provoke change, but it's got to be accompanied by government. But secondly, I'm just really struck because I'm th- be thinking a lot about sort of climate change generally recently. And what do you do? You know, you had this uh, horrendous IPCC report about the, you know, 99% of coral reefs go if we have two degrees of warming, which used to be considered the sort of <laughs> tipping point. But you know, I think it should give one optimism that you can, if, if people think a problem is real caused by us and soluble. Then you're sort of getting there. You know, I think it's the thing about plastic is that it, it's sort of what Julian was saying you can grab onto it and people feel it's a soluble problem. And I think somehow we've got to sort of break down the climate change problem into, into that so that people into think it's a manageable chunk. It's a manageable yeah. chunk so that people think this is a soluble problem.
0: Reasons to be cheerful with Ed Milibands and Jeff Lloyd. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things.
2: If you've got thoughts on what you've heard about plastics or suggestions for future episodes, please do get in touch. We read every email extremely attentively. You can find us at Cheerful Podcast on Twitter or on Instagram. You can also email us, reasons at cheerfulpodcast.com or Facebook forward slash reasons to be cheerful podcast. And also, I don't normally say this. Please do, if you like what you hear, rate us on iTunes. Uh, As Jeff knows, I'm a regular follower of the iTunes chart. And which I think demands still a judicial inquiry. It's a bit of outstanding (laughs) business because I don't understand it, but do um, rate us and preferably with five stars. You uh, want to be top of the pops. I want to be top of the pops. Right. This comes from Sean Kelly, who is in Seattle, and I think it shows that our back catalogue is, you know, available. Sean found episode twenty-two on arts education, and he says, "This hi, Ed and Jeff. I found your podcast a few months ago, and I've attempted to catch up, but with a busy life, I'm still far behind." However, I just listened to your podcast episode about curriculum in schools and I realised that what you were talking about with arts is exactly what happened to me and what I see every day. I was an awfully shy kid and my mum signed me up for a summer theatre camp and it changed my world. I loved it. I got friends. I opened up. My confidence grew and I kept with theatre and the arts through college. I currently own a pottery studio in Seattle where I teach adults the art form. I utilise all of the skills I developed through the arts to manage my business successfully other than just the art that I am teaching. I also see the desire for these adults to pursue a hobby that is healthy for their life and to participate in the amazing community we have developed at the studio. I'm saddened to know that kids these days aren't getting the same intro to arts that my students received 10 to 15 years ago. Additionally, as kids, they don't necessarily have the option of seeking out arts and community if it isn't available in a school setting. Love your podcast, Sean. Thanks,
1: Sean. And, I mean, that's definitely something we'll revisit in different ways as well as time goes on. This comes from Andrew White, who says, Reason to be cheerful, a big idea. Right, here goes. I can make the whole of the United Kingdom happier and healthier. Wow. Without necessarily spending much more money to do so. Wowza. Wowza. He says, my big idea will reduce everyone's mental stress. or will make them what less frustrated and, and more satisfied at work. Better salt dishwashers. Sleep, no. uh, I can Risk danger of illness. Out. Mental illness, depression. He goes on, bold claims. What is it? You may think. Well, he says, you know, he's building up the tension yeah, here. Yeah, I am. I'm feeling <laughs> tense. So what is the big idea? Yeah, what is it? Is it mass hypnosis? No. Is it drugs? No. Is it magic? No. No, he says. It's going outside. Oh. That's it. Basically, if everyone went for a four-mile walk every week, fantastic things will happen. All the benefits I've listed, and, you know, I think we we just touched on the benefits that he's listed, um are actually proven to come from regular exposure to the outdoors. There's plenty of research. The problem is in this country, we've systematically hindered and in some cases stopped the ability of people to get outside. He then cites um, out-of-town Shopping centers, and you know, you know about the effects that these can yeah, have on yeah. sort of surrounding town centers, uh, how, how difficult it can be I, I, with the parking I, I like and national guy. parks and the money that that costs. I like this guy. Uh, the I mean, don't don't you find going
2: outside, I mean, providing you're not like consuming lots of air pollution, don't you find going outside,
1: going for like a walk exercise makes you feel better? I mean, sometimes it think, always changes my mood. Yeah, seriously. I, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm quite an indoorsy person. Like at school, I always liked it when it was indoor playtime because it was raining. Yeah. That would mean I don't have to go outside. You're not a bad walker, though. Oh, I I love it. I love a nice amble around. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think this is great. I mean, um, because of of time, Andrew says his hometown is Doncaster. He's a writer and filmmaker and broadcaster. And he's got lots of ideas around this, um, which we don't have time to go into now. But yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I think there's really, really something in this. Another one here. This comes from Edward Pennington, who says, Dear Ed and Jeff, I really like the recent episode on worker ownership. It's always nice when Ed taps into his inner radical. It's in there somewhere, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Not far from the surface. It's true. Ready to come out. Exactly. Like a gremlin at midnight. Yeah. Um but I felt there were some uh, questions unanswered. In particular, why should BlackRock or another wealth management company have more control over how things are run than workers, let alone 90% control? It's hard to understand how you would accept the logic of 10% but not demand more. I, I got the impression that it was very much seen as a starting point, wasn't it? Yeah, got to possibly. The culture. I think, to be honest, there was a bit we
2: edited out where um christine i think talked about possibly going higher i think just partly for for, for space reasons yeah um well not political censorship reasons no no no, no it was totally. like starting people off with that idea
1: yeah um and also it was felt like 10 percent is uh, a number at which you've got a good chance of becoming the majority the, shareholder yeah, well really, sorry or not, the, largest the, singular, the, yeah, yeah, the largest yeah the largest yeah, yeah. exactly on another note i'm worried, Ed, is opening up political controversy by agreeing with the tough stance on dancing politicians. Um, was I not quite positive about. I think it was about whether you would go on a dancing show or not. I think, uh, I think that yeah. was the, the issue. I think, yeah. I think your own yeah, sort I of. See. Uh, uh, um, yeah, but I don't
2: mind other people. It. I don't mind other people doing it. It's just, I think it wouldn't be good for me. Yeah. Uh, now, the, the, the last one comes from Sally Watson uh, and it's about Parkrun. I think Parkrun is becoming. Uh, a running theme. She wants to throw her weight behind those people who are suggesting you should do an episode of the podcast on parkrun. It's my own best reason to be cheerful. It goes to the point about exercise and being outside. Uh, I started parkrunning last year. I'm going to be doing my 50th in the next few weeks. Uh, I get out a lot out volunteering, which is just as much, if not even more, of a feel-good activity. I'm sure you already know this, but parkrun is growing exponentially. You're welcome to attend on your own or with friends or with your kids or babies in a buggy or a dog or to volunteer. People who walk around their 5K calls in over an hour just as welcome, Jeff, to take part as a speedy folk who can run it in under 20 minutes. <clears laughs> uh, there is a volunteer... Didn't co- you fall over the last time yeah, you tried probably. to go running? There is a volunteer role called Tail Walker, which I've done a couple of times, which makes sure that none of the other park runners who might be a bit worried about being slow, a bit reluctant to take part, Jeff, comes last. It's also lovely how many of the parkrunners stay around the finish area to cheer on. You could be cheered on uh, those who finish after them. The average finishing time at parkrun is currently 29 minutes. That's 29 minutes for 5K. That's pretty quick, it seems Mm, to me. Yeah, yeah. That's six minutes per kilometre. And it's getting slower, which parkruns is a good thing because it means that more people are taking part who are not typically speedy runners. Every parkrun has a designated cafe in which all the park runs. I mean, honestly, I'm really sold on this, are welcome to have a coffee and a chat afterwards. Social aspect is as important as the running. There are junior parkruns, 2K events on Sunday mornings, springing up all over the country for four to 14-year-olds, which are brilliant and inclusive. As a means of tackling social isolation and loneliness, a fraction of communities' social division and mental health problems, as well as the more obvious issues like obesity and poor physical health, parkrun is doing amazing work. With best wishes, Sally Watson
0: in Aberdeen. Send us your ideas or suggest a guest for a future episode. Email reasons at cheerfulpodcast.com. Find us on Facebook or tweet at Cheerful Podcast.
1: And here we someone...
2: droning on. What?
1: I meant one. Droning on. I was on. wait until Rich went and I, I was going to explain to you that I didn't mean as Listeners, personal. as we
2: were having a conversation with Rich before he came on, do you want to introduce Rich?
1: Yeah, the, uh, Rich Wilson is here. Hello. <laughs> That's yeah. nice to meet Jeff here. Yeah. said, <laughs> oh. I was saying
2: how difficult it was to stand up comedy and, and I, said, I suppose it's a bit like a speech and Jeff said, well, I think a speech, like some
1: droning on speech. I don't think it's anything said, like that. Uh, here's what I said. I, I said it doesn't matter. Droning as on. If, I said it doesn't matter as much if you're droning on in a speech and you, because of your baggage, heard you you not as one but you heard it don't as, bring as my you. baggage into i left my baggage by the door <laughs> with your shoes anyway with my yeah. shoes yeah it's anyway, a wonderful thing to Rich
2: walk into it's very nice to have you here i'm it's sorry nice you're in the here. middle of our marital yeah. oh. <laughs> unfold your arms
1: <laughs>
5: The atmosphere is really terrible. Exactly. Reason to be cheerful. You do do (laughs) 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 that. Exactly.
1: Rich, you've brought along some ideas which could be potential reasons to be cheerful. What what do we have first?
5: Okay. I think we should go back to having a day where basically we just shut down all the electronics. You know, we missed Sundays when we were kids. I know people say it was boring, but you know, it made you do things as a family like you had dinner and you did things together yeah, yeah, i you know. like this idea i know it sounds so no fashion. email no email nothing and just, it just like a big central lever we just kind of yeah. pull,
2: <laughs> pull a central <laughs> yeah. lever blackout yeah, e, sort of
1: that's
5: electronic it. It.
1: electronic blackout no internet yeah
5: like in frankenstein when they yeah. pulled the lever. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. it's it, like
1: yeah. an amish day we all get to be amish for yeah
5: exactly i mean the only thing that doesn't uh switch off is your fridge freezer because no, we, yeah. cause no one wants to be eating smiley faces and prawns for tea. No, <laughs> or so, so the food is defrosted. T- TV yes no. Or maybe TV because we said we had TV when we were kids. But I think just, you yeah, know, No, you go but,
2: back to three channels. You go yeah. back to
5: one channel yeah. and it and you get it's the queen's speech on a loop. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's just that I think we need to get back to just having a day where, you know, we have dinner together and we, and we, and we you know, like you're that. made to go to the zoo or go, you know, go and do things. rather No than, sort
2: of fiddling on the iPhone. Yeah. Do you practice what you are now preaching? Of course not. not I'm, not I'm sure. one of the worst. I mean, my,
5: my girlfriend and I have just moved into the, the smaller back room because we had proper blackout curtains. And what we've made it into is a, a very sort of tranquil area just to sleep. And we keep saying to each other, right? Like, no phones in the bedroom. We go to, yeah. We might watch a, something like Netflix on the laptop, but no phones. The, and we've been in there a week, and we've yet to do it without phones. <laughs> it's just, there's always a reason. It's like, oh, I've just got to send this email. Oh, I've just got to check on this. The worst thing is that you expect there to be a barrage of texts and emails. when and there you, isn't. <laughs> <and> you, <laughs> you that's Nobody That's why it's playing with your brain, you see. Yeah. That. Exactly. Yeah. We're all, we're well, all I'm basically in. buying this. Yeah, I like this Electronic too. Yeah, blackout. Yeah, definitely. Just for a day. Yeah. Yeah. yeah all right rich what you got next i reckon we should have big foam hands on the front of the car to twat people back into the bushes when they step out in front of you because uh, there's been a, there's where, been where
1: a... are you that people are emerging from bushes Oh, look,
5: it's not necessarily bushes so many people keep walking into the road i've seen it so many times and you end up in your car going dude, dude don't don't step out and they can't hear you <laughs> You're like, don't, do it. don't do it mate what are you doing <laughs> why are you doing it People don't seem. I think maybe I don't know whether you're an attentive,
1: but Jeff doesn't drive. Are you an attentive I think I'm pedestrian? A said to ed before and said on the podcast before i used to spend a lot of time in sweden right. and I, th- I think in sweden there's this idea that um we've got to follow the rules because everything works so perfectly if we just break one rule it'll all start yeah, coming undone. done. yeah and you get a situation where in a small town there'll be somebody standing at a pedestrian crossing <laughs> waiting <laughs> waiting for the green man even when there's no traffic
5: on yeah, the road. right 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 yeah, yeah yes which is the other extreme but, too I, I, far, I, but that
1: yeah. is
2: interesting because that's what i sort of do teach my children Mm. even if there's a red man no traffic yeah you don't really cross. Yeah, because you yeah. never know what's going to. You don't know what to expect. Well, it's more like yeah, yeah. then they'll think, well, you can cross at a red man. Yeah, yeah, yeah but, that's true. But yeah. generally, adults do it
5: too in Sweden. Is that right?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Foam so, hands. Anyway, you've got yes, yeah, so a foam big hands. foam hand
5: on the front of the car, so it just comes out and it and it boffs you into the nets that are erected. <laughs> okay, we'll, we'll have that. Yeah. Uh, what else you got, Rich? I, I think that young people should go and spend time with old people for an hour, a couple of hours a week. They should. They should be. Yeah. They should have to go and. So a young person them. like Jeff. Mm. Yeah, we should go <laughs> Bring him round. That's,
1: I mean, that's what this podcast is, basically. Yeah. <laughs> to
5: help Jeff get outside and Yeah, meet yeah. yeah it's me,
1: the young person. Yeah. Jeff thinks of himself as a young say, person. I sorry, say, sorry. Right, sorry. R- sorry. 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 I thought we were coming to help Jeff. No,
2: no, no, no.
5: Jeff. So we bring him. To... <laughs>
2: we're sort of indulging his generational <laughs> fantasies. <you> <laughs> <see>. <laughs> I do apologise. Yeah. I do apologise. Yeah. So we're coming yeah. around to help Youth work. Yeah, exactly. He's going to come and like visit with me. So this is what this is. already happening. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, we are. the generation gap. Right. All three idea. years, it's all easy. three years. No, I
1: think that's I think a, a
5: it's good idea. Four years, oh. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just to underline that. Because I, I spent so long droning on in those speeches. <laughs> <laughs> just, uh, nice. uh, this is going to run and run. Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
2: so, that, I like, no, I think it's really good. Dude, there's that program on Channel 4 which I only saw a little bit of. It's called something like The Secret Life of Four Year Olds with Older People. That's right. It, yeah.
5: And it, it seems yeah. amazing. It, taking children. To care home exactly that's what it yeah, is. Yeah, yeah yeah and they were doing that and and you could see the energy in the old people yeah, yeah, just yeah. like they were you know they were buoyed by it and well, well, so it there's getting, just you know. such
2: a generational divide absolutely yeah. you know
5: particularly Brexit uh, you know
2: <laughs> <laughs> there's definitely something in this I think but it's just a question of how you make it happen see I think what used to happen is that people used to move about less. So we're left geographically mobile. So they would kind of know the person down the road. I'm not sounding like I want to go back to the 1950s, but, you know, and I think somehow how do you recreate that? Yeah, I think you're
5: right. With all these suggestions that I've made, it sounds like you're an old man. You know, you know, oh, we should go back to you know, no, no. But I think back, it's, bring right, yeah. no, no, it's the, like the right national service. No, it's the right thing. I think
2: I when I was first becoming a constituency MP, there was an ar- big argument in one part of my constituency between some young kids who were using a multi use games area and the people who play bowls, older older people. And I remember, I think I brought them together at some point.
1: You got it, the old people skateboarding and the young people well, playing well, crowd grade bowling. <laughs> it sounds a bit too fantasy, <laughs> but.
2: I th- and I remember thinking at the time, ignorance of each other it breeds sort
5: of suspicion. That's right, yes.
1: What's, what's your final idea, Rich?
5: Okay, I think we should train actual wolves and big cats to respond when somebody wolf whistles or cat calls a woman. Oh.
3: <laughs>
5: that <laughs> is a deterrent. Yeah, yeah. imagine that. If you, you know, you like, oi, oi, and then this big wolf just comes flying out at that you. That is and savages definitely deterrent. you, And savages you, yeah. You'll learn a lesson. It's quite Big sort of, of tough wolf. love in the rich I, I think we I need. I think we need... I think it's what we need. Yeah, It's time it, to go back to basics. Listen, I know. It one strike and you're They worked for John Major. Uh, <laughs> uh, um, so, no, it's definitely like you yeah. know, you're
2: part of the community, you know. Part of the community, but don't You know, about. you've got the foam hands flanking <laughs> like, you for the net.
1: You've got the wolves. So so you've yeah. released the wolves into the community. What, What's to stop them not savaging somebody who hasn't wolf whistled? Oh, uh, yeah, you've got to be careful when well you're whistling.
5: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's all about the training. Yeah, I think we invest money in that. Ed. Definitely in the training of the wolves.
2: It would just like would be classic me and Jeff to be like standing by someone who did the wolf whistle, yeah, yeah, yeah. and then sort of get attacked
5: by the wolf. You know, as that person sort of gets off scot free. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah there's a, I mean, there's gonna be there's gonna be blunders. It's um, gonna be it's gonna be collateral damage. It's not yeah. perfect. Not a perfect system. Yeah. It's a different film. It's better that teaching the I wolves. I mean, it's basically the philosophy
2: that it's better that like five innocent people get
1: savage to death. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, done that, like
2: one guilty person goes free, type Absolutely. of thing,
5: basically. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, see, this is the way forward. Yeah. Rich, if people want to come and see you, have you got anything doing at the moment? I am to be found in comedy clubs up and down the country. I am on Twitter. I am Rich Wilson. I'm on Instagram. Um, What's your so show called? My particular show is called Still Relevant. And I'll be doing that in the next. Think, it next year. Maybe that's what my show should be called. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> question say, mark? There? Is there a question mark? <laughs> God, Droney. Boys, uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Rich Wilson, thanks thank so you much. very thank much. Thank you. Lovely. Thank you.
0: Reasons to be cheerful: a podcast about ideas with Ed Milliband and Jeff Lloyd.
1: So here we are in the eerie outro. Rent a ghost. Do you remember Rent Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was it uh, oh, miss, Mr. Love... Me, Mr. Meeker?
2: Yeah, I just loved Rent to Go. Yeah, yeah, Dobbin the the horse. Yeah, it's one of the when times you let when it... your
1: spirits move. That's very good. You should do Something's that in karaoke. Like, yeah, I think not. It's one of the times that I miss being on the radio. because uh, I, I would always go a big bundle on Halloween and play really? the Monster Mash. Really? I would, um, I'd always play Herman Munster singing Dem Bones, Dem Bones, Dem oh, Drive. I dry love bones. the monsters. Yeah, the monsters, the Adams
2: family. I the I love those things. You yeah, I'm a i a sucker love... for American soap.
1: Me too. I, th- I love both those things, but I think you're supposed to pick a side. I think you're supposed to be either a Munsters person, really, or an Adams Family person. I don't like the Brady Bunch. Too. Well, there you go. That shows that you're um, you're, you're not partisan. Eclectic, yes. Hey so uh, so yeah have a good Halloween yeah thank you we should uh, thank you shouldn't we we should I'd like to thank Catherine Conway and Julian Kirby and thanks to the marvellous Rich Wilson for coming on and sharing stories and ideas Emma Corsham produced our podcast uh, James Deacon made the eye dents Ed Seed composed the music and the artwork Emily Power now Emily Power's a real Halloween person is she? she's got a touch of the kind of death metal-y what? thing too she loves spooky things it's, I think Halloween is like Christmas for her. Wow. Yeah. Um, so there we go. We're, we're, we're done. Enjoy your you too. spooky uh, budget. Fantastic. Yep. He's been severed Ed Miliband. He's been ghoulish, Jeff. And these have been.
5: The